Welcome to Global River Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. I realize there's a lot going on. Uh, there, there always has been. And, uh, you know, there's nothing new. What do he tell us in Ecclesiastes? There's nothing new under the sun. But there's something about the joy of the Lord that is our strength. And so carrying that presence into wherever you go uh, is I just a reminder. You have a choice, right? We have a choice to carry it or to, to leave it. <laughs> and I just encourage us to make the right choice. If you don't have a copy of the outline this morning, why don't you raise your hand? We'll get you one. I'll be encouraged to have it. I'd love you to take some notes. Um, my wife always says, how many weeks are you going to do this? And it's, you'll notice I got front and back. But I want to cover some uh, important things that, first, one more announcement. Um, Global Awakenings having a conference in Apex this week, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. It's about two and a quarter hours. But just uh, recently, we had William Wood and his wife, Chantel, here, uh, Randy Clark's associates. And then uh, Brian and his wife Camden were here, another associate, and uh, Will Hart, who is Heidi Baker's uh, vice president. We've been together when, when Bill was a missionary. We've had many missionaries in Mozambique. My daughter also, Will Hart, was there. Actually had a child born there and married to Moosey. He's going to be there. So it's going to be a really powerful conference. So if you have an ability to slip away Thursday night, I think it starts at 7, and uh, it's also Friday and Saturday. Um, just to encourage you to be. And then don't miss tonight. I would think encourage you tonight at the River of Life Church, Pastor Maud's church, and our own Tucker Band. Tucker Family Band will be there. So it's going to be good worship. Uh, God night. So And Jonathan Blanchard's been here several nights and just uh, bringing, the, bringing that worship of God around. So, Yeah, if you go to the Apex Conference, go online, uh, sign up with Global River. There is a discount. So GRC 15, that's the code? Oh, okay, GRC 15. That must be prophetic. I wonder what that means. Revival Conference. Hallelujah. That's what we need. Amen. Well, um, so this morning, let me, uh, let me start. I've titled this morning's message, Living a Lifestyle of Faith. Living a Lifestyle of Faith. What's the definition of a lifestyle? It's real simple how you live, <laughs> right? I looked up the definition. It's like, it's the way in which a person lives is their life style, their style of life. And so, question is, how are you living? How you doing? How's your lifestyle? Um, what would people say about your lifestyle? What would they declare about you? Um, I love, the, I love how God is a transformer, right? God is a he's, a, he's a turnaround God, right? He's the one, man, we've heard the testimonies upon testimony. When you listen to Brian's testimony and William Wood's testimony, our own testimonies, how we were in such a mess. Or even uh, those who were raised, uh, as Kyle shared Wednesday night, Kyle Vinsek, it was so wonderful Wednesday night to hear our, four of our worshipers, and we got four more next week, this, this Wednesday, and four more again after that. How is it um, that you have placed this desire to worship Him? Because, you know, you were created to, the only, re- honestly, you can boil this down. The only reason you actually exist is to worship Him. 
He's a big daddy. He wanted to have a family in the garden. It got messed up, but he, he wanted to walk in the cool of the day with his family and just worship and see how they would name the animals. And, you know, I got my grandkids up here. I was, I was, it, it's always so, we study them and it's interesting how cute they are. They come out with these crazy statements and what they do. And, and, you, and it's just like God. He just looks at it and says, I love these kids. That's why nothing can ever separate you from the love of God. Only you can separate you from the love of God. And so, this lifestyle, this desire, this turnaround God that takes us from, it says He transforms us, actually translates us from the kingdom of darkness, because you were once dead. If you don't have Christ, you're dead. And then He translates us into the kingdom of His dear Son. So it's not like, well, I'm kind of in and out. No, you're not. You're either alive or you're dead. That's the Scripture. And by the way, they, you can try to dress this pig up, but it's not going to be any prettier. The truth is, I don't care who's preaching this, there is a hell and there is a heaven. And your destiny at some point will determine how you end up there is your choice. That's just the facts of this. When we, when we have the, the biblical basis a biblical worldview. You can't get there any other way. You can try to manufacture and mix these words up, but that's the truth. And the truth is what sets you free. And so, when we say, what's your lifestyle like? I love the fact that God says, I'm a turnaround God, and I don't care how messed up you are. I can mess you right up. Right? I can, I can set you upright. And so, as long as you have breath, as long as I have breath, we can seek after. So when people say, wow, you know, I don't want to be morbid, but let's just think about this for a minute. When you do a funeral and they read the obituary and then they give an open mic and there's a testimony about the people that knew him or her and they share he was loyal, he was caring, he was honorable, a family man, He'd give you the shirt off his back. She was just an incredible person who believed in God. Had lots of troubles or struggles in their lives. We don't want to miss this opportunity. I'd like you to turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 30. I think Moses does such a great job in describing what is a very simple but yet difficult to apply. Some of the most simple statements are those that also are the most difficult in our application because of the nature of, of self and our desire to be self-centered. Deuteronomy chapter 30, he, he writes at the beginning of the chapter, this is a call to return to the Lord. Of course, there was many of them that had turned away and then Moses brings this declaration of the choice of life or death. Look at verse, let's begin in verse 11. Deuteronomy 30, verse 11. I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation, which is the thought for thought, but I also will reflect on the King James, which is the word for word translation. And I like to use both. Beginning in verse 11, this command, so this is not a suggestion, right? This is one of those commands that I'm giving you today. And this is the Lord speaking through Moses. He says, it's not difficult for you to understand. So this is not something that you can't conceptualize, right? It's, and it's not beyond your reach. So it's not out of reach. It's not kept in heaven so distant 
that you must ask, who will go up to heaven and bring it down so we can hear and we can obey? It's not kept beyond the sea so far away that you might ask, who will cross the sea to bring it to us so we can hear it and obey it? No, verse 14, no, the message is very close and it's at hand. It's on your lips and it's in your heart so that you can obey. So he sets the, the record straight that it's right here. Remember Jesus said heaven is at hand. It's, it's right here. And then he goes on and he says, now listen today, verse 15, I'm going to give you a choice between life and death, prosperity and disaster. Now, that's like, wait a minute. Let's see, life and prosperity, death and disaster. Let's, let's see, which one will I want to choose? He says, this is really simple. It's not hard to get this. It's right here. It's at hand. You don't have to go far away. You don't have to have somebody get. It's, I'm telling you, right? It's right here. Life and prosperity, death and disaster. Now, that's real simple gospel right there. He says, now, for I command you this day to love the Lord your God and keep His commands. So life and prosperity, love the Lord your God and just do what He said. Simple gospel, right? That's powerful, but it's simple, and yet how come we so easily, right? What does He say in Hebrews? The sin that so easily besets us, right? We got to run this race differently, Dropping the sin that so easily besets us. That's written by the writer of Hebrews. Many think it was Paul. Now listen today. I'm giving you a choice between life and death, between prosperity and disaster. For I command you this day to love the Lord. This is a command. I'm telling you, I'm commanding you to love the Lord your God. Keep His commands, His decrees, regulations. Walk in His ways. If you will do this, you'll live and you'll multiply and the Lord your God will bless you. And the land that you're about to enter into, you'll occupy. But, now here's the negative. But if you turn away, you refuse to listen, you're drawn away to serve other things, other idols. Now, I don't know what we're going to talk about some of the idols in life. People who search for money, for pleasure, for power, position, there are all forms of idol. Anything that you're looking for to substitute the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, drugs, alcohol, food, sex, whatever it is that you're trying to fill the gap, the void, all the illegitimate things that take that void that we so easily get wrapped up in. We believe the lie. And then that idolatry consumes us. He's saying, if you'll just love me and forget all the other trappings. Now, you can enjoy life. He's not opposed to that. But there are limits and there are boundaries that he sets. If your heart turns away and you refuse to listen, you're drawn to serve other gods, I warn you, certainly you'll be destroyed. You'll not live a long life in this land. Today, I'm giving you a choice. Verse 19, today, uh, 39, today. I'm sorry, 19. Today, I'm giving you a choice between death and between the blessings and curses. I'm going to write, I'm going to actually call on heaven 
to witness the choice that you make. This is in Malachi chapter 3. He says, there's a scroll of remembrance. We won't turn there, but in Malachi chapter 3, right after the tithing chapter, it says there's a scroll of remembrance that is written by the Lord of all those who love Him and love to speak of His name. He's got a scroll keeper that has your name on it, your DNA. It is your chapter. And he writes that. He says, keep a record. And every time you witness for the Lord, every time you, you search for Him, every time you worship Him, there's a record being kept. And he says, on the day that I act, you will see the difference between the children who love me and those who do not. So this scroll of remembrance, it goes right along with this. He says, I'm making a choice for you. I want you so much. I love you so much that nothing can ever separate you. Only you will be able to separate from God's love. And he says, I just want to bless you. This is going to be the key to your life. Verse 20 says, you can make this choice. Choices, choices, choices. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obey Him, and committing yourself firmly. Boy, that's... This is the key to your life. And if you will love and obey the Lord, you will live long in the land the Lord swore to give you and your ancestry, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you know from Galatians 3, you're heirs and joint heirs of the promise. Because you are children of God, Abraham is your father, and all of his promises are yours and mine. You have access to the whole thing. Everything the king of kings, that's the promise. Go read in Galatians chapter 3. There's no more Jew, Gentile, male, female. He says, these are the promises, heirs and joint heirs of the promise. So when you look at the consistency of Scripture, it's like, why is it so hard for us sometimes <laughs> when it's such a simple message and yet we love ourselves more than we love God? Now, we have to love ourselves in order to love our neighbors, remember? We, we know from uh, Scripture that He tells us in Matthew 23, He says, when they tried to trick Him up, like, what's the greatest commandments? He said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and spirit. And the second is like unto it, He says, Love your neighbor as yourself. So you need to love yourself because it's really hard. If you don't love yourself, it's really hard to love anybody else. If you're all self-critical and self-judgment and I'm a mess and you don't know what I did and, man, we all done stuff. <laughs> you break one sin, you're guilty of everything, right? And so this, the, the beauty of this is once we come, and I love how Richard started the service today, right, with all this stuff hanging on him, condemnation and all that mess, tear it up, it's a lie, one of the traps of the enemy is condemnation. You condemn yourself. And what did he say, even to the woman caught in the midst of adultery? Where are your accusers after all and want to come and kill her? He says, where are your accusers now? I don't condemn you. They don't, I don't condemn you either. Now go and sin no more. And so, man, when there's no more condemnation, that's why freedom. That's why this morning I was like, Lord, and when, when uh, Gillian started saying, we, we got to get free of all this and get whatever's holding you, it's like that was my confirmation. I was sitting there saying, Lord, we got to do a freedom call. I just feel like there's, there's something holding back here, right? And so when we get to that place where, no, we come and we say, here's my mess. I don't know how to get free of this, but you do, because whom the sun sets free is free indeed, right? And so we just come and fall at the feet of Jesus. Well, day by day, choices, choices, choices. There's a really neat verse in Joel 3.14. It says, 
multitudes and multitudes in the valley of decision. That's in Joel 3.14. It's really dealing with the battle that's going to take place on the battle of Jehoshaphat there in the last days. But how many choices? We know that choices produce consequences, correct? If you choose, remember he said in, uh, what is it, in Galatians 6, 7, he says, God will not be mocked. What you sow, you will also reap. So there are consequences to our choices that um, the world does a really good job of reminding us about. But once we're set free, we're free indeed in Jesus' name. And so I want us to look at this. this uh, I don't care what you were born into as a family or the brokenness. Man, I've been doing some really, really rough prayer ministries of late. People that uh, have come from other countries, raised in witchcraft, dedicated to Satan. I mean, the brokenness and the, and the, the horribleness. I, w- I won't even glorify all the sin, but so broken, and yet God has delivered them. He's the turnaround God. And the fact that they're sitting here in prayer ministry and saying, I've come. Sometimes they fly in from, one came, flew in from Utah, drove a whole family down from New York. They've come, and they, they pray for us. And when you, we, this privilege of seeing people give their, their whole life to God and turns that around. And once they realize there is no condemnation in Christ, man, it is just such a privileged, glorious experience to, to be able to just be the gloves on the surgeon's hands, just to go where he goes to bring heart freedom. And God, it's just so an incredible, glorious presence that comes and so privileged. But I want you to see there was a woman who was born into a situation and darkness. I'd like you to turn with me to Mark's gospel. Let's begin in chapter 5. I want to set up this lifestyle of living in faith. And in Mark 5, you're probably familiar with this scripture because we've covered it a lot. Bishop and I, we love it, right? Um, In Mark 5, I'll just quickly paraphrase it because we've spent time here. There's three episodes here in Mark's Gospel, chapter 5. Jesus has started His ministry. He's been baptized in the Holy Ghost. He's baptized in water. He's led into the desert. He now, it says, now Jesus, full of the Holy Ghost, goes into the desert, led by the Spirit. He beats the devil in the desert, and then He begins His ministry, opens the scroll in chapter 4 in Capernaum, and He says, the Spirit of the sovereign God is upon me. And He quotes out of Isaiah 61. All right? And it's like, wow. And then he, he begins his ministry, and he, he gets off a boat, and he gets to the Gadarenes in chapter 5, and is a demonized man. This guy is so demonized that they are so fearful, they chain him in the, in the cemetery, and there's times when the demons manifest, he breaks the chains, and he cracks off the shackles. Now, that's a strong demon. And so, He's so demonized, as soon as Jesus gets off the boat, the man runs to the feet of Jesus and gets at his feet. There's such a great principle there. There's no demon in hell that will be able to overpower the will of a man or a woman seeking Jesus. I don't care how many demons are there. That guy, there's, there's those that think he had 6,000 demons. His demons had demons, right? That's a, he talks about legions. And, and so, and Jesus prays more than once. He's at his feet and he's crying out. And then the demon takes and says, have you come to torment us before our time? And, he, and they plead with him. Let us go into the pigs. You know the story, right? 
and we get deviled ham out of that. They jump off cliffs. They go, you got crazy pigs, demonized pigs. Oh, my gosh. It's a crazy story. And then the people say, they see the guy in his right mind, no longer naked, ripping chains off, and says, and they were afraid. You weren't afraid before? Now you're afraid because he's in his right mind. And it's like, so that chapter, it's an amazing story of the power of God to set a person free from their darkness. Don't ever forget. That's why Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, I've given you full power and authority over all the works of the devil. You'll crush the head and walk among the snakes and scorpions. Don't you ever be afraid of the devil. He's a defeated foe. And you take a firm stand against him, right? First Peter 5, 8 and 9. All right. Part two, Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue in Mark 5, whose daughter is dying. You know he had the resources and the money. He could have brought, probably had all the best doctors there. She's dying. He knows that Jesus is the healer. And I don't care. Your daughter, child, son's dying. You'll go anywhere. Don't forget, forget my reputation. I don't care. If you kick me out of the synagogue as a ruler, I'm going to the feet. And what does he do? He gets at the feet of Jesus. And in the midst of going, the woman with the issue of blood, who had heard about Jesus, who'd spent all of her money for 12 years on doctors and is not well, and she says, heard Jesus and says within herself, if I can just touch his hem. Remember, this is, all re this is re review for you all, right? And so we see this in that chapter of Mark 5. Amazing. I don't care what the demons are doing. I don't care what the culture is saying about a woman touching a, the man's garment. I don't care what they say about an unclean woman who has an issue of blood touching a man. Culturally, that doesn't matter. I'm getting to the touch of Jesus. And it says faith leaves him, right? It says virtue leaves Jesus, and she's instantly healed, right? And then he says to Jairus, Jairus, don't you be afraid. Believe, Jairus, because they come and they say, your daughter's dead. Don't trouble him anymore. And Jesus turns and says, just believe. Don't be afraid. And he dismisses all the unbelievers and all the naysayers. And he brings the three, James, Peter, John, up in the upper room with the mother and father, and he says to the young girl, rise. And she's raised from the dead. So we see this amazing, doesn't matter if it's death or sickness or demons, faith works in this process, right? A lifestyle of faith. These people's lifestyle changed their destiny. But then we get to Mark chapter 6, and you know, there's no mistake about the sequence of these things. In, Ma in Mark chapter 6, he then goes back to his hometown. And what happens here? The verse, first six verse there, it says, Jesus left this part of the country, Mark 6, 1, and he returns with his disciples to Nazareth, the hometown. The next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue. Many who heard him were amazed. They asked, where did he get this wisdom? Huh. He can perform such miracles. Then they scoffed. He's a carpenter, son of Mary. His sisters, Joseph, brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, his sisters, they live here among us. They were deeply offended and they refused to believe him. See, familiarity breeds contempt. And so they were familiar and they said, no, this is this, the carpenter guy. He lived with us, right? I wonder what he was like before he was baptized in the Holy Ghost. Was he a kid? That, did he get in trouble? Did he throw a ball through the window next door? Or what, did he pull the girl? No, Jesus sinned nothing. <laughs> but he was a kid, right? He was growing up. It says he, he, he gained favor and stature with both God and man. And he doesn't begin his ministry until he's baptized in water and baptized in the Holy Ghost. That is a mystery to me. I'll just tell you it is. But this, that's, the way he, that's why he could experience all things like us 
and yet never sinned. Totally God, totally man, and yet he surrendered his divine power so that he would walk as a, a, a God-man filled with the Holy Ghost and model for us. That's why he said, and Peter says, there's nothing that can keep you. You'll be able to keep a godly life. You'll be able to live a godly life. Jesus modeled that for us. So we see in this, he can't do many miracles. In fact, Jesus is so amazed. It says, and because of their unbelief, verse 5, he couldn't do many miracles among them except place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their unbelief. Now, Jesus has been amazed at belief and faith. Remember the, the uh, Roman centurion who says, I place my, I understand authority. I'm under your authority. Just command the word. It'll be done. So, Jesus was amazed at his faith. He says, I've not seen anything like this in all of Israel. Now, let's go on. Turn with me to chapter 7, and let's pick up. Again, we see amazing things happen by those in faith, their lifestyle of belief. We see what happens in a lifestyle of unbelief and contempt, familiarity with God. You know, sometimes one of the dangers of being in church all your life or being in a church where you've seen so many miracles, and I've walked with people, I've seen them lay hands on the sick, I've seen them in other countries lay hands on the blind, they get fired up, and then they come back and they lose their fire. They lose their first love. And none of us are immune to that. You've got to keep the fire stoked, right? The church at Ephesus, it says, return to your first love. We've got to keep the fire burning. How do you do that? It's your lifestyle. It's your choices. What are you doing? What are you watching? What are you saying? What are you following? What are you doing? That's a lifestyle. That's the choices. I put before you life and death, blessings and cursings. It's up to you. And so, it's up to me. And that's something, I'm preaching to the choir. That is something we've got to stay in that place. You've got to set aside the times of discipline, of prayer, and anointing, and searching, and seeking, and crying out. As Bishop says, get the books, study, make time, make time, study. Study to show yourself approved. Well, we see, look at this. Now, here's, this is a very interesting scripture for me. I've been trying to unpack all week. Look with me, Mark 7 in verse 24. Jesus leaves Galilee, and he went north to the region of Tyre. King James says Tyre and Sidon. It's in the northern part. He didn't want anyone to know where he was in the house staying. Probably wanted a break. You know, ministry can really get you a little tired sometimes. But he couldn't keep it a secret. <laughs> right away, a woman who had heard about him Remember, faith comes by hearing, Romans 10, 17. A woman who'd heard about him came and fell at his feet. I want you to underline, fell at his feet. You'll see that in the demoniac. You'll see that in Jairus, the ruler. There's something about humility at the feet of Jesus. Desperation and humility unlock the supernatural. Keep that in mind. Desperation, whatever the circumstances that you're desperate about, humility in Christ, getting at His feet and under that authority will unlock the supernatural signs and wonders. Now, here the little girl was possessed. Her daughter is possessed by an evil spirit and begged him to cast out the demon from her daughter. 
Since she was a Gentile born in Syrophoenicia, Jesus told her, first I should feed the children, my own family, the Jews. It isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. She replied, that's true, Lord. But even the dogs under the table are allowed to eat the scraps from the children's plates. Good answer, he said. Now go home, for the demon has left your daughter. And when she arrived home, she found the little girl lying quietly in the bed, and the demon was gone. Boy, that's powerful. You got a remote deliverance. This is a remote deliverance, right? And so, but I want you to see, turn with me. Now remember, Mark's gospel was written by John Mark. He's a Gentile author. I want you to see the Jewish author's version of this. Turn with me to Matthew 15. In Matthew chapter 15, remember Matthew the tax collector who was very dishonest and Jesus says, come follow me. He restores four times whatever he stole plus. And in Matthew 15, let's begin in verse 21. A little bit of history here. First of all, the the Canaanites of where this woman was, the Syrophoenician woman was a Canaanite. She was an actual enemy back to the days of Joshua. The Canaanites hated Israel. Wars were fought. So th- she's a descendant. She's got some family issues, generational curses as far as Jesus is concerned. And remember, he's called to the house of Israel at this point. It's not until we see in, in uh, Romans chapter 3 that he says in verse 29, I'm now called to the Jews and the Gentiles. Remember? And God in His wisdom is, is amazing to me. I probably would not have done it this way. That's why I'm not God. But He sends the Jewish trained guy, Saul, Paul, to the Gentiles. And He sends the uneducated fisherman to the Jews, Peter. So, why? Because your, your head's going to get in the way. What you know, I don't want you, no. You have to go in the power of the Holy Ghost right? And so, that's just God's way, and just the way He does it, right? And so, he, this woman's got some challenge. She's got some generational curses. She's got bloodline issues, and it's like, so she comes, and she's out of season. Now, he's been healing Jews and Gentiles. He's been going around and healing, casting out demons, but this woman shows up, and he says to her, let's read the Jewish version, not that much different, but it's, it covers verse 21. Jesus left Galilee, went north to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Gentile woman who lived there came to him pleading, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. Wow. For my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. But Jesus gave no reply, not even a word. Can you imagine that? Please heal my daughter. Please, she's a demon. And he doesn't even talk. He's like, he ignores her. And it's annoying the disciples. <laughs> Remember, he's trying to find a place to get quiet, and the ministry's been proud. And, and what is, Jesus gave no reply, verse 23, not even a word. Then his disciples urged him, send her away. Tell her, go away, they said. She's bothering us with all her begging. If you've got a demonized child, you're going to beg? If he's the answer, you bet. I might become more undignified than that. Jesus gave no reply. They said, send her. And then verse 24, then Jesus said to the woman, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. 
But she came and she worshiped him. That's why the New Living says, and the worshiped at his feet, fell at his feet. How would you worship him? How would you worship him? Grab his feet, plead with him, please, my daughter, please. Begging at his feet. And then he doesn't give the best sermon. It certainly wouldn't pass the woke people this day, right? <laughs> Jesus responded, uh, is it right for me to take the food of the children and throw it to the dogs? And instead of saying, you call me a dog? Is that how you treat women? Is that what this ministry is all about? Right? He doesn't do any of that. And she doesn't respond in a, an offensive way either. Why? Because if you're hungry for the master to do something, you'll put up with it. You don't care about your reputation. You don't care what they think about you. Let me get to the feet of the one who's able to set me free. Get out of my way. That's the hunger and desperation that he's talking about. And, and he responds and says, is it right that I should take this children's bread? See, deliverance is for the, the born-again believer children. That's why we never do deliverance on an unsaved person. It's dangerous. Mark 12, Matthew 12 will tell you seven worse will come if that house is not full and clean. So that person has to have a free will engagement, right? And so that's why he says, why would I bring deliverance? This is for the children. Are you a child of God at this point? I'm, worship, I'm going to my brethren, the Jews. She replies, that's true, Lord. It's true, Lord. I'm one of the dogs. I'm not one of your children. But even the dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath the master's, master's table. See the honor? See the humility? See the non-offense? Man, offense will break the flow of the anointing, and we're so easily offended. How easily are we offended? And then we, we, we justify our anger and resentment and bitterness and wonder why God doesn't move. Whoa. Dear woman, Jesus says to her, your faith is great, and your request is granted. Your daughter was instantly, and her daughter was instantly healed. So we see... If you look at your handout, it's this lifestyle of faith. My experience in this faith walk, and it's not easy. It, it preaches easy. Deuteronomy 30 says, oh, yeah, this is how you get blessed. A faith lifestyle is an incredible journey of both risk, mystery, excitement, disappointment. And anyone who's walked with Jesus can say, I've had all those. <laughs> The mysteries I can't understand, that I just know you're good. Simple theology, God is good, the devil's bad. What else you want to know, right? Just keep it simple. I'm a simple man. That's just the way I see it. And this mystery, but the excitement and some of the disappointments of things, Lord, I prayed for this, but this happened. Why? Why? But I want you to know, if you'll get out of your limited view of God... And you'll put an eternal view of God. He has all eternity to make up all the difference of everything you've ever gone through. Stop trying to judge God based on what you see in this limited scope. His scope. No eye has seen. No ear has heard what God has prepared for those who love Him. And yet we know by the Spirit. We know the Spirit man saying, do you have any idea how big a blessing is coming? No, but I like it, you know. In every generation, number one, in every generation, God is looking 
for people whose faith will rise to the level of his assignment for that season. That's why we place such a high emphasis on intercession and prayer. He's looking. There's a couple of scriptures. Ezekiel 22, 30. We won't turn there. He says, he looks for the righteous who will build the wall. Who are the righteous wall builders in this generation, in this season, in this house, in this city, and in this country? Where are the righteous wall builders that they will stand in the gap so the Lord doesn't have to destroy this land? You know what? This country deserves judgment. If you, I was watching the Nazi death squads last night, real uplifting stuff, right? And how evil, 70 some odd years ago, the wickedness of the schemes to kill the innocent, to destroy the Jews, and how did they ever get to this mindset? And yet, there's over 2,300 children that'll be killed today because of this nation's laws. If you don't think we deserve judgment, I don't know what does. You know, he'd have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. And so, this nation, it's only by this remnant few that are standing in the gap. He says, every day he delays. What does Peter tell you? The reason you say he's going to come has come. It's been a thousand years. Yeah, well, one day is like a, a thousand with the Lord, right? He says, or a thousand days is like one day with the Lord. He says, every day that, you, that I delay coming, another, another group of people come into the kingdom. And I'm glad he didn't come 100 years ago or you and I wouldn't be even in the kingdom. So his timetable is perfect. It says in Romans, when the exact number of Gentiles has come into the kingdom, all of Israel will be saved. And then this thing is going to move in a rapid fashion. And I think we're really close. My rabbi friends in Israel have been texting me all week. There's so much stuff not being reported now in the news of what's going on in Crimea and in the Ukraine and in the Arctic with the Chinese and with the Russians. We are sitting on the verge of a major conflagration that's coming. And we sit here and we wonder about all of our stuff. And oh, God is saying, I'm looking for a people that will stand in the gap. That I don't have to destroy this land. He'll give us grace. The doomsday clock watchers say we're one minute. We're one minute to midnight for nuclear confrontation. I don't know where they get all that, but they've been watching the situation. I heard this week the Russians have come out with a weapon, at least they're advertising a weapon, which we're now trying to play catch up. It's a nuclear cruise missile that can go underneath. You know, when I was in the submarines, we would carry the Trident missiles that could destroy a third of the world with one submarine. This missile now can go along the, the, the floor of the ocean undetected and hit the east coast of the United States and cause a nuclear blast and a tidal wave tsunami that will destroy all of the cities along the east coast. Now, I'm not trying to bring fear, but wake up. It's time to be awake. Are you in the ark of Jesus and are you ready? And are you praying? That's the main thing because this lifestyle, you can have your own lifestyle. It's all about me. It's all about us. God's saying, no, I want it to be about me and my people. He's looking for a generation that will stand in the gap. Another scripture there under that number, number uh, 1A is in Second Chronicles. It says, the eyes of the Lord, Second Chronicles 16, 9, the eyes of the Lord roam the earth just looking for someone that he can show himself strong in. He's just looking. Can I find somebody strong in me who's in pursuit of me that I can then release my power into them so they can bring revelation and kingdom to the world? Well, then, 
I love Peter says this in 1B, be established in this present truth. Make your call and election sure. 2 Peter 1, 10 and 12, be established in this present truth. What's the present truth? Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life, right? John 14, 6. He's the way, He's the truth, and He's the life. But in this present truth of Jesus, you have an election and you have a call. The people that are in your sphere, what are you doing in your lifestyle? Do they know it? Or are you one of these undercover agent Christians? Secret agent man. Nobody knows, right? Not good. Now, I'm not saying you'd be goofy because we can be goofy. <laughs> when I first got saved, oh, Lord, have mercy. I was out there. I don't know how many people I might have drove away. But anyway, I guess I'd rather be a fool for Jesus than a nobody for Jesus. All right, let's keep going. What shall we do? This is an amazing statement. In, turn with me to John chapter 6 for a moment. In John 6, and we'll begin in verse 28. This is that really tough sermon <laughs> that Jesus gives, um, and a lot of people leave him, never come back to his ministry after that. John chapter 6, he says, he goes on and he says, if you'll eat my body and drink my blood, if you don't, you're not part of me, right? And they said, wow, he's talking about cannibalism and what is this? And he was, they, they couldn't grasp the fact that he's talking spiritually about his body, that one day his body would go in the grave he, become, he became the bread of life, remembering what he do, the communion table when he broke the bread. This is the new covenant. So he was giving a sermon. You got any sermons that annoy you? I've had several. Even the ones I preach sometimes annoy me. And so, and so there are sermons that you probably heard that like, man, I don't, I don't like that sermon. I don't know if I even like that guy. <laughs> All right? Well, guess what? If it's true, it'll cut. Sometimes I remember sitting in sermons when I was a new believer or maybe not quite there in the Holy Spirit. And then I, I like, especially, I remember the one David talked about tithing. I remember a tithing scripture that my pastor from the Christian Missionary Alliance gave. And I'm like, that can't be in the book. <laughs> I don't like that. It can't mean the gross. It's got to be the net, right? <laughs> oh, I wrestled with that one and we read it and... After 30-some-odd years, I'm telling you, it's a blessing. It's true. All right, moving right along. There are this, here's a sermon that he preaches that is like so offensive to where they were. They were spiritually not mature enough in the spirit realm to understand what he was saying. And, man, that is so often. We'll sit and we'll hear the Word of God, and it's like, right? It'll, it'll cause those that are peaceful to get maybe not so peaceful, and those who are not peaceful to be get peaceful. And so, this is a sermon, and what he does in verse, look at verse 28. After he preaches this, it says, they come to him, in verse 28, let me read the, new, the King James on this one, I like this. So, John 6, 28, then they said unto him, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, this is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he hath sent. This is a very intriguing scripture. First, 
there's this offensive word going, like, we don't understand. Even the disciples said, we're going to, he turns to him, and you're going to leave me too? He goes, well, where would we go? You're the one who gives us life. And they stay with him, even though some leave him and never walk with him again based on that offense. And then he says, they ask him, what do we have to do to do the work of God? Can, can you imagine? The fact that they can ask this question, we want to do the works you're doing. And Jesus doesn't rebuke them. In fact, he says, just believe. But then we know from John 14, 12, right? Greater works shall you do because I go to the Father. So not only will you do, they can, you can do the works of God. There's an expectation because he's gone, you can do greater works. Which is really, I don't know if that does something to you, but can you imagine if you had a whole church full of people that think, we can do the works of God and greater? Wow, what would happen? Believe God, number three there. That word in the Greek is to trust and put faith in. Number four, what we trust in or believe will define us. It actually shapes you because what you believe compels you for action. What you believe you act upon, whether it's true or not, right? Proverbs 23, 7, as a person believes in their heart, so it is, whether it's true or false. So what you believe, you believe you're rejected, you're ugly, you're no good, you'll never amount to anything, any curses spoken over you. Those curses that are now over your life, if they define you and you believe them, they have this fulfillment that comes on your life. I've done enough prayer ministry. I've done thousands of prayer ministry. I'm not exaggerating. I'm not bragging either. I'm just telling you that this is the way it is. When people believe a lie, they are then captured and, and ensnared by that lie. And until they come to the one who's the spirit of truth that sets them free, they're captured in the lie. That's why prayer ministry is so powerful. When two or three come together in his name, professing truth, there'll be life and death in your tongue. You shall declare what you say, and it shall be done unto you. That's why we're really careful here. David even got up here, don't tell me this is negative, right? Because <laughs> if you say negative things around here, you're going to get corrected probably or rebuked or something. You're not allowed to say that. <laughs> now, we're not denying if people are in pain or people are suffering, we're not saying, well, you know, tough it out. Let's get, get over. No, we're not saying that. But at the same time, watch what you say because rooted in that is what's in your heart. Out of the mouth, the heart speaks right? And so, we see this that what we believe in number five there, if you trust a company or a particular food store, you probably shop in the same food store because you like it, you're comfortable with it, you like the people there. Katie's got all these friends at, at Harris Teeter on Sanders Road. They even invite her to the Christmas party. <laughs> she goes in there, they all know, hi, Katie, how are you? What's going on? Right? Like, wow, right? Hi, I'm, Kay, I'm Katie's dad. <laughs> she has no strangers, and she will tell you exactly what's on her heart. Sometimes I have to go hide and get my mask on a little stronger. All right. Trust, if you particularly, if you look at a, a doctor, a politician, maybe you like a particular car company. I drive these kind of cars. I like them. They, so what you trust in will determine your choices. So, that's why I'm saying, what's your lifestyle? What are you trusting in? What's your faith in? Just come on and release that understanding. God, and I would get, get a piece of paper out, journal. God, what do I trust in? And then watch 
your thoughts and your behaviors during the week to unveil what's there. And then if you find a lie or something that's not true, then rebuke it in the name of Jesus. I bind it, remember, bind and loose, whatever's bound on earth, be bound in heaven, whatever's loosed on earth is loosed in heaven. Pay attention to your, your emotions, Hebrews 5.14. The mature believers have trained their senses to discern good and evil. If you're a mature believer, pay attention to what you're feeling. It'll bring a revelation to what you believe. This is spiritual warfare. 2 Corinthians 10.3. I'm off the track now. 2 Corinthians 10, right? It says, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty to the pulling down of demonic strongholds, taking every thought captive, bringing it into subjection to Jesus Christ. I'm feeling rejected, and I'm feeling lonely. I'm feeling sad. Bind that spirit and replace it. What do you want to see? Pray what you want to see. It's not faith to say, I'm feeling really bad. Well, that's not faith. We walk by not sight, but by faith. Right? So pray what you want to see. Again, I'm just preaching to myself. I do it every day. Number six, faith, belief, and trust. They're interchangeable. But number five there, that's really going to determine your destiny. At one point, you're going to end up in one of two places, and so am I. And are you prepared, and what do you believe? And does your lifestyle, we read last week, remember Rich Man and Lazarus? Rich man had no unction, no compassion for Lazarus laying at his doorstep, starving, sick. The dogs, probably his dog licking him at the wounds, and he ends up in hell. Lazarus ends up in the Abrahamic bosom before the revelation of Christ and the going into the set the captives free. We did that all in the Resurrection Sunday discussion. One of two places. If we live to trust God, we're going to be persecuted. Look at number seven. If you, Miss Addie always reminds us, honey, you're going to suffer, but it's going to be all right. When I'm suffering, I'll call up Mama Addie and say, Pastor, it's going to be all right. Preach it, Miss Addie. Come on now, preach it. <laughs> Tell me again, it's going to be all right. Because if you're walking with Jesus, you are going to get, you're going to get in some mess. Because you carry light and the darkness hates you, and it says they hated me. If you don't think they're going to hate you, and they, they're going to they're think they're even doing right, they'll come to kill you and hurt you and do all this, and they'll think they're doing God's will. When, a, when 10 of the 11, you know, we know one of them hung themselves, but Judas, but 10 of the 11 gave their lives for Christ. And John would have. They tried to boil him in oil, it says in the Isle of Patmos, but he wasn't done yet. Her assignment to write the book of Revelation wasn't done yet, so they couldn't kill him. So they just isolated him out there, and he lives to be almost 100. But he's the only one. The rest of them, what they believed in Jesus, my God and my Lord, and they gave their lives for him. They did not love themselves even unto death, They've overcome the devil by the word of the testimony and the blood of the Lamb, Revelation 12. So let me ask you a question. In order for you to trust God, you've got to think right. I tried to put this in number eight. You've got to know this word. This word is full of truth. And so, yes, yeah, there, are, there, are, there are challenges. There's tension in the Scriptures, right? We, remember we spent one Wednesday or two 
well, can you lose salvation or once saved, always saved? And we had the church divided, all the once saved, always saved on this side, and all the, no, you can never lose your salvation. And they all presented their scriptures, and it was like, you can argue both sides of this. <laughs> and I always say, forget about how, how close to the edge before I fall off. Don't go there. How far back away from the edge can we get? <laughs> right? Okay. So, what idols are in your life right now? This is a question. You remember the rich man? We won't turn there. I've got 10 I want to land something else before we close here. We've got 10 more minutes. If you look at number 9, remember the, the rich man comes and says, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What a great question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And he says, well, follow the moral law, the Ten Commandments. Love God with all your heart. Don't commit adultery. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't covet. He goes, oh, I, I've done all those things. I'm like, wow, that guy's really good. Uh, he goes, but there's one thing you lack. What is that? Sell everything. Give it to the poor and follow me. And the young man went away sad because his idol was his riches, right? And so, the question is, again, I don't believe God's hung up with riches. There were a lot of rich people. Abraham was wealthy and, you know, so, but it's what you love. If you love money, it's the love of money that is the root of evil. It's not the money. Some people, I, I, we have some folks that's like, they just like, wow. They're just destined to make money. They're businessmen. They bless people and like amazing. And there's others that have almost nothing, but they hold on to it like this. It's mine. So, what's your idols? Is it health? Is it relationship? Is it your job? Are you serving the man, but there's no time for God? And I'm preaching to me. I worked for General Electric Nuclear. I, I remember 12-hour days all summer long building a submarine in upstate New York during the Cold War. And there are times when you've got to do what you've got to do. I get it. But there, there needs to be a point where can you carve out time for God? Or is, or is the job the number one priority? Now, we're supposed to love our family and make provision. And I, there's the tension in Scripture. You've got to sort this out. But you'll know if there's an idol in If you're trusting alcohol, I can't sleep at night unless I have a glass of wine. I like it to calm me down. How about the Prince of Peace? He could cut, you know, or no, I need, I need my Valium or something. I'm just, and, and look, I'm, I'm not opposed to medication legally, and don't read more into it. I'm just saying, what are you trusting in? What is your lifestyle? What is my lifestyle that we are trusting in that could be a substitute for the depths of the kingdom? That's the question for all of us to answer. And it ought to challenge us. It's... And once we've come to one level, it's time to get challenged for another level. So in the keeping with that, I've had several people that um, have told me, actually, we've had some people actually leave our church due to manifestations that take place. I get, I get it, I can understand it. I remember in 1994, right where Chris is sitting, I walked in here in my three-piece suit during the renewal phase here, my wife had been here for, with the kids for about four weeks. So I sat right there. 
Bert Aguilar was up here, ponytail, Harley parked out front with a t-shirt on, God rules. And there were people flagging, and they were dancing, and there were people on the floor. And I'm like, we're out of here. This nuclear engineer, that can't be God. I'm done. Let's go, baby. She goes, just sit down and be quiet. And then I heard, I felt the Holy Spirit. Bert Aguilar's with, with, the, with Jesus now, but I, I felt the presence of the Holy Spirit. And I'm not making fun of any other denominations, but I hadn't felt it very much, very often. And so, the next week I came in without my three-piece suit, and now I are one. <laughs> Whoa. So, I get it. I get it. When, when, you have, uh, when you have someone up here, I remember it's like, well, 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 is this is this biblical? Is emotionalism biblical? Is that's got to be that's got to be uh, demonic? That can't be God. Be careful. Remember what he said in Matthew 12: If you make judgments about the Holy Spirit and call it to be demonic, that's an unforgivable sin. Read it, Matthew 12. Now, I'm I'm not trying to bring fear there, but just be careful. You're not God, nor am I. And just because I haven't experienced that doesn't mean it's not God. So what do we do? Test the spirits. Try them. So I've tried to list a bunch of these. Okay, at the bottom of page 10, and then we'll flip over on your outline. What are your fears? What are your unusual or expected experiences that are hindering the depths of your journey? It could be a sermon like John 6. Do you know what that pastor's preaching? That guy Jesus, he just said we got to eat his flesh and drink his blood. I'm out of here. Now, if it's not in the book and he tells you to do weird stuff, just, you know, you're hearing me, right? How about tongues? Tongues has been an issue on the plate from the beginning of Acts chapter 2. You read Acts chapter 2. When Pentecost fell, they started, these Galileans started speaking all different languages and tongues, right? And they were as drunk men. Now, how do drunks behave? Not that you guys would ever know that, but I've, I've seen a movie, right? They act stupid. They act foolish. They laugh. They do crazy things. They speak stupid things. You ever seen something, right? And so they're as drunk men. So all of a sudden the Holy Spirit falls like Jesus said, stay here in Acts chapter 1. Stay until the Father sends the promise. When he comes, you're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit and with power, and you're going to become my witnesses to Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit falls in Acts chapter 2, and it's like, all of a sudden, there's mocking, there's judgments, there's criticism, you're drunk. It's like, tongues. It's like, those must be demon tongues. Well, no, read 1 Corinthians, have you been here, 12, 13, 14? Paul says, I speak in tongues more than all of y'all. Don't forbid speaking in tongues. So, what book are you reading? Read it, right? That doesn't mean that you don't test it, but you read it, and you say, Lord, I don't understand. What is it? How about shaking? Do you know there's a whole group of denomination called the Quakers? Hello? I have apparently a great, 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 great grandfather who was a Quaker. So I, I got roots in this stuff. <laughs> Yipes. How about shouting? Ha! Remember? Ha! I'm like, what was that? Well, there's a scripture in... It says that uh, shout with the voice, shout with the voice of the trumpet blast. 
Raise your voice. Go ahead and look up, shout, and raise your voice unto the Lord. You know how many times it's in the book? I don't know where we get this thing. We got to be quiet in church. It's very pious. Now, hey, there, there are moments, right? When, when Jesus is, how about, okay, I'm just, I'm just messing with you. I'm messing with me. I'm trying to, but turn over. Um, you know, God does some really strange things. When you look in the Old Testament, when guy loses an axe head and he goes to the prophet and the axe head, he, he, the prophet speaks and the axe head floats to the surface. What is that? Fire falling from the sky, consuming the, the burnt offerings, clouds of fire and fire and brims. I mean, it's like there's a lot of strange things there. How about Red Seas opening and people walking through them? Like, remember this? This is, okay. So, so someone gets gold teeth. That can't be God. Shut down a whole revival we were at. We had a tent going. Eight people got gold teeth in this treatment facility we were at. And the leader got so offended, he says, that can't be God. Get that tent out of here. Shut the whole thing down. Save these guys thousands of dollars. Well, pastor, where's that in the book? Well, gold, I mean, the pavement in heaven is paved with it. And, and if the bride, you know, God, I give, I give my bride gold. I mean, I don't know. I mean, sign to wonder after. All right, turn your page. I just tried to list some of the things biblically that are in the book that we're not after emotionalism. I'm not. But God is an emotional God. David danced with all his might. God cries. He weeps. He's saddened. He's, he's all of those things. He wept over Jerusalem. So God has emotions. He, his heart gets broken. It says you can grieve the Holy Spirit by what you do in your lifestyle. You can grieve Him. Don't do this. You're my child. Don't, don't go there. Don't, don't, don't. And there's this grieving process of the Holy Spirit within you. God's an emotional God. We see that in number three there. How about heat? He's a God of, He says, you're going to send fire. And then we get these people, that, my hands are on fire. I've seen people sweating under the power of the Holy Ghost. It's like, tell them to turn off the heat. I'm like, I have no power over that. <laughs> Is that in the book? Yeah, he's, he's the God of fire. He'll answer by fire. How about trances? That sounds pretty weird. Peter had one, Acts chapter 10, number 5. How about this one? Zechariah couldn't speak because he would have messed up the whole thing with John the Baptist. Freezes his lips. That's not demonic. That's God. Or how about Paul, Saul, three days blinded. That's not demonic. I'm going to teach this dude a lesson. <laughs> You're going to sit blinded for three days and wonder what you've done. You said you, he comes to him and says, why are you persecuting me, Paul? And he realized, oh, my Lord. That's not demons. That's God. How about the priests who couldn't stand? Number six, they couldn't even stand in the presence. How about when Daniel fell out? How about when the guards were frozen in fear? How about when Abraham fell out when he laughed? How about the one, I wonder what this one looked like, number 10. It says in Luke 10, right after the 72 come back from their mission trip, and they report that even the demons are subject to us when we use your name. And he corrects them and says, Re rejoice that you're a citizen, not the fact that you have power over demons. But then it says, Jesus got full of joy in the Holy Ghost and said to his Father, thank you that you've shown these things to the simple. 
wonder what that looked. How did Jesus get joyful? Well, did he dance? Did he sing? Did he, what did he do? I, I don't know. But he was joy. It says he was full of joy. So what does full of joy look like? Dancel and David wildly danced. Here's an interesting number 12. I, I researched this one. In the Toronto blessing of which, you know, my spiritual dad, Randy Clark, was involved with, you know, maybe he's this pastor of a small church in St. Louis, goes there for a three-day meeting and turns out to be 10 years and over, I don't know how many millions came to Toronto. But there were a lot of questions about the, the first night of the meeting when people fell out under the Holy Spirit. Well, that can't be God. What is all this, these strange happenings there? Well, they studied. They went and interviewed. In fact, the woman's name is Margaret Paloma. I have it there. She went and interviewed and surveyed a, a thousand people that had fallen out in the Holy Spirit. And they, after the interview, she says, what would they, she wanted to talk to people who had come under the power of His presence and said, what was the experience of that? And said, 92% of them said they were more in love with Jesus after that experience. And 82% of them said they were more motivated and more excited about Jesus to share Him after that experience. That doesn't sound like demons or emotionalism. I don't think the demons will encourage you to share about Jesus or to be in love with Him. So, again, I'm just reporting facts of what she found. So, test the spirits. Yes, 13 be there. Paul, John tells us, test the spirits, but trust God for the good works. So, what I've tried to do this morning is challenge us in our lifestyle. That we really question, so what am I thinking? How am I behaving? What am I doing? What do people see? So that we can then make a course correction in our own lives in those areas. All of it is designed to draw us into that place where we can go deeper with God. And so, let's stand. I want to invite our ministry team. You know who you are. You've been trained. Come forward. If anyone needs prayer this morning, if, if there's an area of your life where you've, you know, the Lord's put a, a finger on the idolatry of an area, just get someone to agree with you on that. Those listening by live stream, you can join us as well. We just want to pray that, Lord, in this lifestyle of faith, we, we are a people. We started by saying that we're a people of great hope. We have this hope. The world does not. There's a lot of hopelessness. Last night I heard a 17-year-old girl threw herself off the I-40 bridge. They were able to rescue her. I don't know what her condition is now. But there's this hopelessness, this spirit of depression and sadness and despair. They just don't know Jesus. They don't know the Prince of Peace and Hope. But we do. So, Lord, I pray, if one, you get us free so that we can carry the environment, the, the, the situational awareness of what God wants to do through us. So, God, I thank you this morning. Would you release the Prince of Peace, Holy Spirit's power over this congregation, those listening in live stream? Lord, I thank you that you're a God who's a God of great turnarounds. No matter where we've been, and what, as long as we have breath, we have this opportunity to make the choices that will bring life and blessing. God, help us. Compounded choices, little choices, day to day. I love what they say in, in uh, AA and that today's a new day. This is the day. Scripture says this is the day that the Lord's made. If you'll make a right choice, they'll compound into a lifestyle of right choices. And then we'll see the blessings of God. 
So God, I thank you that you're going to redeem the time. You do it. So come, Holy Spirit, and set us free. And Lord, we thank you. We bless tonight what you're going to do at God Night at River Church, River Life Church. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing at men's group, in our women's ministry, House of Mercy ministry, overseas with all of our missions work. God, I thank you for what you're doing in the city, House of Mercy. God, we thank you. Wednesday night that our worshipers would be able to communicate this created to worship revelation. And may it transform the way we live our lives daily. We just keep worshiping and thanking him for what he's doing and doing among us here. God bless you all. Have a great day. Thank you for being here this morning.